and I have been looking forward to today since last Sunday about 12.05. I just love getting together with you folks. I'm, I'm a little nervous. The smaller water thing, it looks like they, meant, they want me to preach less, shorter. Is that, is that what that is? Is that a little hint for that? Anyways, hey, today we start a brand new series together in the book of James. We've been talking about this for a little while, and it's called Faith Works. We're going to be uh, in the book of James for the next couple months, and um, if you're looking for it, it's toward the latter end of your Bible. If you find the book of Hebrews, it's right after that. And um, if, you, if you get all the way to the end and start marching your way backward, you don't have to go too far until you run into it. It's a smaller book of the Bible, about five chapters long. But man, it is packed. It is absolutely packed full of some great stuff for us. I want you, if you would, just go ahead and grab your study guide because we're going to start right out on some answers for you that are on it that we need to fill in and get a good sense of the background of this book. I was really in a dilemma this week. Because once you get past verse 1, then you're into a whole new discussion, and, and the next eight verses, verses 2 through 8, are a whole gigantic message in itself. And verse 1 is about two-thirds of a message and I thought, what am I going to do? Because if I, that's going to be a long one. That's going to be a real long one. But then I think, but then I got about two-thirds of a message. And I'm like, hey, I'm a preacher. I can make two-thirds of a message into a whole any day. So here it comes. Verse 1 of James. But you got your study guide? Let me give you a few answers that are right on it. I'm going to walk through some background before we even look at the book. Because you may wonder, why was this written? Who was this written to? Who wrote it? And all of those things are critically important as we figure out what this is all about. So let's step into this together. I want you to um, understand that the book of James is what is called a general letter. It is a general letter written to the church at large. Now, in the New Testament, there are a number of letters written to specific churches, like the church at Rome, which would be the book of Romans, and the church at Corinth, which would be the books of, okay, well, you folks are on the ball here this morning. And then there's uh, Galatians, to the church of Galatia, Ephesians, to the church of Ephesus, Philippians, to the church of Philippi, and on and on. You kind of get how that goes, but here's the book of James. And it's not named after a city, a destination city. It is named after the author because it is a general letter to the church at large. And so essentially what would happen, this letter would go to a church. They would receive it. They would read it. Most likely they would copy it. That way they would have a copy of this for future discussion and reference. And then they would pass it on to the next church. And so it was just distributed throughout the church's of the New Testament era. Now let's walk through a little bit of church history here. And I know that this is somewhat academic. However, it's critical. We've got to get a handle on this to really understand what the book of James is about. So here's a little bit of church history to help us out. So number one, this is right there in your study guide. The church began in the city of Jerusalem. And let me tell you, when it 
took off. A fire was lit in the church and bam, this thing just exploded with growth. The very first day of worship, the Bible mentions that the church grew by 3,000 people in one day. Can you imagine that? 3,000 people in one day. Now, I know we're saying that would be awesome, wouldn't it? I think our nursery workers would be saying that may not be awesome. But wow! And then, over just a period of a little bit more time, the church grew to about 15,000 people. And we're talking within a month. It just took right off. And all of this was centrally located in Jerusalem. So the church began in Jerusalem. Now the church was initially comprised of, and here's your next blank, of Jewish believers. There's a number of verses that help us to understand the reality of this. Since it was in Jerusalem, it makes sense that the majority of the people that were present in the early church were Jewish. It not only was in Jerusalem, it started on a Jewish holiday. And Jews from all over the world came to Jerusalem to celebrate this Jewish holiday together. And then not only was it in Jerusalem and on a Jewish holiday, the reality was most of its development and growth was in the temple and in the local temples. So the the truth is the initial church started in Jerusalem and was comprised of mainly Jewish believers Some places in Scripture talk about these Jewish believers, and it calls them the 12 tribes. It's an inference to the 12 tribes of Israel from the Old Testament. So, began in Jerusalem, comprised of Jewish believers. Here's a third blank for you to be filling in in church history. The church persecution started in Jerusalem. Church persecution started in Jerusalem. Now, because the church was exploding, remember 3,000, first day, 15,000 within about a month, this thing was taking off. So the Jewish leaders of Judaism began to get real upset. And they're wondering, how in the world can we get rid of this nuisance, of this new church that believes in Jesus Christ? How can we get rid of them? And so they were, they were grabbing some of the church leaders. They grabbed Peter. They grabbed John. They threw him in prison. They flogged him. I mean, they just beat the living daylights out of him. And then Peter and John, and they tell him, don't you dare speak another word about Jesus Christ. Well, guess what? They go back and they said, "Woo! we just got beat for Jesus, you know? And then they said, we, we need to tell everyone about Jesus. And it just kept spreading and kept spreading. Finally, a man stepped up, Gamaliel, and he said, you know what? Do nothing to them. It'll just die out if it's nothing. So they started to do nothing, and guess what? The church kept growing. And then they said, we need to bring in someone to really do some damage on this. And they brought in a guy named Saul. Saul was beast when it came to persecuting the church. And there's a scripture reference regarding this in Acts chapter 7, verse 57 through chapter 8, verse 6. And you've got to see this. And um, because it's a tinge bit warm, I've seen a total of two yawns so far this morning in the auditorium. How about you stand with me? We'll keep the blood flowing, and let's go ahead and we'll read this 
together, there's going to be two slides that are going to detail. This is what happened in this early church in Jerusalem when the, the Jewish leaders said, we need to get rid of the church. We've got to wipe them out. And Saul came in and started just to pound on the church. Let's read this together. At this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him dragged him out of the city, began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul approved of their killing him. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention. You can have a seat. So you're getting an idea. The church began in Jerusalem was primarily Jewish believers. It was growing by leaps and bounds. They bring in this guy named Saul to pound it out. Let's get rid of the church. And if you could imagine this fire of the church that was growing and growing, imagine just taking the opportunity to stomp on that fire. And if you've ever done that, you've seen whoosh, it just spreads. And this is what happened with the church. Interestingly enough, Jesus said that he's going to build his church, and he says it's going to start in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then go to the uttermost parts of the earth. So here's what happened. Saul comes in. Boom. And it mentions, we just read it, guess where these people scattered to? Judea, Samaria, and out into the stretches of the world. And the Bible says that they were taking the gospel with them. So here's these believers from Jerusalem. Jewish believers from Jerusalem in the Jerusalem church that now were spreading out. They were scattered because of the persecution. Here's number four. The leader of the Jerusalem church was, now this is where we're coming into the book of James. The leader of the Jerusalem church was James. His name is James. He's the brother of Jesus. And there's basically four prominent figures in the New Testament named James. And we know that the leader of the church in Jerusalem was James. And the Bible talks about him in numerous places in the book of Acts. Peter mentioned him in Acts 12. He's a part of the Jerusalem church council in Acts 15 and expresses an edict to everyone that he came to the conclusion of. Galatians chapter 1 verse 19 expresses specifically that this James right here was the 
brother of Jesus, son of Mary and Joseph following the birth of Jesus. And the Bible shares with us that the siblings of Jesus initially didn't believe in him. And here's what happens, though. After the resurrection, Paul mentions that Jesus appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. And after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have passed on. And then catch this. Then he appeared to James. So Jesus' brothers and family were not really sold on who he was until at the resurrection, Jesus appeared to his brother James. And James' life was changed. Everything changed at that point. And so the leader of the Jerusalem church was this James that Jesus appeared to and he led this church and then all of a sudden here comes this persecution. So let me just summarize this and then we're going to jump into the book of James and you're going to see the huge verse that we're going to be talking about here this morning. Jesus appeared to James after the resurrection. James stepped up and was the pastor of the church in Jerusalem where it all started. And all of these Jewish believers were going whole hog for God and then Saul steps in and persecutes them and boom, they scatter out. And so here's Pastor James and all of his church people went and scattered all abroad. Go to James 1. Let's start right there. James 1, and now you're going to see why we talked about all of this. James 1, verse 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you following there? Listen to this. To the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. Greetings. Guess who he's talking to? James is talking to his church people. He's talking to his Jewish brothers and sisters that were involved in the church and they spread because of persecution and he's trying to reach out to them and he wants to give them counsel and advice and so i got two more blanks for you to fill in there james is a very personal book james is personal there is a repeated phrase over and over and over that can only come from people that have relationships And it's this phrase that is mentioned 12 different times in this five-chapter book. And it's found in verse 2. It says, consider it pure joy, my brothers, my sisters. And 12 times, James reaches out to these people and he implores them. He talks to them in a relational way because this is an extremely personal book from a pastor to his people that have scattered And this book right here, not only is his contact with them, it's his advice to them, but it's it's a way for them to kind of get caught up to date. We just went through this Hurricane Florence here not long ago, and I don't know if you have friends down in North Carolina or South Carolina or in that area. There's a new phenomenon that happens today because of our social media where someone when they're in that area and they can go on Facebook and guess what they do? They mark themselves safe, 
you know, hey, I'm safe. I had a couple friends down the area, and it says that they were safe. And um, you know, James has no way of doing that. You know, here these people scattered. I'm sure they're wondering, what's going on back in Jerusalem? What's happening with this church back there? Is it falling apart? Is James still alive? And so here, James reaches out with his letter to all of them, and he kind of says, you know, safe. You know, I, I'm safe. Everything's fine. And so they get word from him, and it's their way of keeping in contact that these people were ripped from their homes, their communities, their church family. And James, it's the pastor's opportunity to reconnect with his people and that's why this is a very personal book. Here's number two. It's a very practical book. It's a very practical book. Imagine you had to write a letter to your child, and you haven't seen him for a while, and you wanted to write down everything you felt they needed to know. So what would you put in there? You probably talk about relationships. You probably talk about what to do when you deal with hard times. You probably talk about how to deal with your money. You could probably go through a number of different situations, how you should have a relationship with other people who you may not enjoy that much. And in this book, James is reaching out to people he loves, and, and he wants to give them all kinds of practical understanding all kinds of faith lessons and he wants them to be able to live out this faith walk this walk with jesus and to do so in a way that would honor god and and you think about it they had faith that they took with them from jerusalem and now he wanted them to say and to experience that faith works in whatever situation you're in, faith works. If you're displaced from your home, faith works. If you're sick, faith works. If you're dealing with persecution, faith works. If you have a challenge with your speech, faith works. And he goes through all kinds of lessons for them to show <clears throat> that everything you learned back at church you can use right where you are. So here's a couple thoughts to take with us. And I know some are looking at your clock saying, wow, it's only 25 after, and it sounds like pastor is finishing. Yeah, don't get your, don't get your uh, hopes up here. Let me start with my bottle of water, see how we can do. Thoughts to take with us today. I got three. It's not just faith. It's faith in Jesus Christ works. I've heard a lot of people say, you know, you just, you just have to have faith. No. You have to have faith in Jesus Christ. And here's that first blank. This is critical. One's faith is only as good as the object it is placed in. Think about it. Our faith is only as good as the object it is placed in it. There's a lot of things that people believe in. Some people rub a rabbit's foot, hoping it'll give them good luck. Some people have pictures of relatives on the wall saying, oh, I hope they can do this for me, even though they've passed on. 
Some people have voodoo dolls. Some people say chants or special prayers to various saints who have passed on and they're hoping, oh, I hope that can do this for me. But let me just reiterate, it's faith in Jesus Christ. That's the faith that works because our faith is only as good as the object it is placed in. It reminds me of a story, and I just love this. A college professor told uh, his students of their upcoming final exam. And here's the deal. It was on the whole semester and was worth 100% of their total grade. Everything was riding on this test. And he said, this is a closed book exam. However, I will let you bring in one eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper. And whatever you can fit on that one side of eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper, you can bring that in. Well, here it's on the whole semester. And everything is on the line. And so some people grabbed this eight and a half uh, by 11 sheet of paper. And they were just writing as tiny as they could trying to get every, and they could, I mean, it's the whole semester. They can't get it all. One person even did a magnifying glass and tried to write, and they, they brought in the paper and their magnifying glass, and, and, and that way they could get even more on there, but it wasn't, they couldn't fit it all in there. One person figured it out. Test day came, and everyone came in, they filled in their seats, and they all pulled out their pieces of paper, and here's a girl in the front row she pulled out her piece of paper and it was blank. And she put it on the floor. And in walked a former student of the class who had gotten an A plus and they stood on that piece of paper. And they coached her all the way through the exam. And she too got an A plus. Isn't that genius? Why didn't my professors allow us to do this? She had it all figured out. She realized, you know, I'm not going to be able to do, I can't put it all on there. I can't figure this out all on my own. She said, you know what, I'm, I'm going to bring in someone who's aced this thing. And here comes our tests of life. And the book of James is going to help us to realize, you know what? We can't take the test alone. It's only faith in Jesus Christ that will help us to get through. There's going to be a lot of people that are going to give you advice, and if you have faith in them, it'll only take you so far. You can go to books and you can see things on TV, and the reality is your faith in those things will only get you so far. Who is more reliable than Jesus Christ? What plan can we devise that is better than his? What friend do we know that has better counsel than God? And faith is saying, his way is better than mine. His counsel is better than mine. If his word says this, but my feelings say this, I'm going to go with his word. And since our faith is only as good as the object it is placed in, True faith says, I'm going to trust Jesus Christ and his word over all else. That's faith in Jesus Christ. Hudson Taylor, a famous missionary for the China Inland Mission, 
turned to his wife one day and he said, we have 25 cents and all the promises of God. I think we're in good shape, he said. That's number one. Here's number two. Nothing helps every area of life more than true faith in Jesus Christ. This is what James is going to walk us through. Nothing helps in every area of life more than true faith in Jesus Christ. Think about it. In life, you see an educator. You see a counselor. You see a physician. You see a financial advisor. You see your trainer. You see your friend. You see your dietitian. You see your coach. You see your attorney because there's so many different issues to deal with that require expert advice. And imagine if there were a book that could take care of every issue of your life and counsel you on every issue of your life, and you think, man, how thick would that book be? Well, I can give you an idea how thick that book would be. Read about that thick. And James says, for every area of life, our faith works. It can work in your marriage it can work when you're going through loss. It can work in parenting. It works even when you're going through divorce or addictions or dealing with issues in church or finances, whatever it may be, the scriptures are the source of our instruction from Jesus Christ and they work. If you have little money, if you're dealing with temptation, if people aren't treating you well, faith works. And James was a genius. He gave his people the one thing that could help them, whoever they were, wherever they were, scattered, whatever they were facing, for however long they would be facing it. James gave them a lesson in true faith in Jesus Christ and his word. And next week, we are going to be leaping into it when we study that faith works for us when life works against us. Faith works for us when life works against us. And that's verse 2 on down. Here's number 3. Don't fill this blank in yet. Because I'm not looking for the right answer. I'm looking for the real answer. When life gets tough, I put my faith in. Now, I know we know the right answer. Because it's the same answer for every question that you ever had in Sunday school. Right? Jesus. You just say, the answer is Jesus. But what's the real answer? I have to tell you, one of my boys was in Awana this Wednesday. And they were talking about holiness. And they, uh, they turned to one of my boys and he said, what do you think of when you think of holy? And what my boy, ooh, ooh, doing this, you know. And they came, okay, what, what, what do you think of when you think of holy? He says, holy moly. <laughs> Anyways, that's the pastor's kid for you. <laughs> Training them right, there we go. You know, I know that we know the right answer. What are you trusting? I trust in Jesus. 
we know the right answer, but I, I just want to get to the real answer. What do we really trust in? What do we put our confidence in? The second something comes up, what's our natural reflex and who we go to? And if we have a strong urge on the inside to do something, even though we know it may not be totally right, do we work so hard to justify it? Or do we just stick with what Jesus has? You know, do a reality check on on what really props us up. And it ultimately is tested when there is a challenge or a trial. You know, we really don't know who we trust in until, bam. You have more month than money. Or your neighbor is being difficult. Or your spouse is just plain annoying. Or you don't like what your parents are telling you and you want to give them a piece of your mind. That's when we really find out who we are trusting in. And so I just want to put it out there. We're going to be doing a faith walk through five chapters in the book of James. And it's all going to be discussing how we practically show that our faith is in Jesus Christ. And we're going to be dealing with probably every issue that you face over these next number of weeks. And I just want to encourage you, take this walk with us, gang. Commit in your heart to take the walk with us. How can I really show my faith works when I go through my challenge. And, and I'm telling you, if you'll take this walk and if you'll really put it in your heart, God will not only change your life, he'll help you to have an impact on the people around you. And maybe you're walking into this place for the first time and you're trying to figure out some answers. Man, let me tell you, you came, you came to church at the perfect time. These next number of weeks are gonna be perfect for you. If you're looking for answers, we're going to be talking about them together. If you're walking in here today and you're saying, man, I'm dealing with some tough stuff. If you've been around for a while, maybe we need a refresher course on how to really live out our faith in Jesus Christ. That's what it's all going to be about. Leave that answer blank. I want you to think about it today. When life gets tough, I put my faith in. But for now, would you close your eyes with me? I just want you to look inside. Don't be distracted by anyone else around you. For right now, would you fill that blank in in your mind with the honest-to-God truth? What do you really trust in? What's your natural reflex? Do we just try to figure it all out ourselves? Do we go to everyone else? Do we Google and read every other book? Do we pop on the TV for the latest counsel and advice? And if God's word conflicts with what we feel, which one do we go with? And you know, I just want to put it out there. Let's 
Let's be real. Would you take a moment and be honest with God? And if you would, in the next moments of silence, would you talk to him? Even if you don't have him figured out, even if you're not really understanding what this whole church thing is about, but would you just crack open the door a little bit for him? Because we need something that works. We need something that works when my life is going through a challenge. And you may not have experienced it yet, but I'm here to tell you that true faith in Jesus works. Would you just open your heart to him and express your desire to be open for what he has for you over this upcoming series? Would you do that? A quick moment of silence for you. Just talk to him in your heart right now. Father, we are a people that probably across this room are experiencing a kaleidoscope of challenges. And we do need something that works. Because so many things around us have failed. And God, I speak for us. We know it's you. We know deep in our heart it's only you. And would you align our actions and our attitudes and our speech and our decisions, would you align those things with the truth we know deep in our heart? That it's you. And I pray, God, over these next number of weeks, change us. Grow us. Help us to take bold, bold steps of faith. And may we be truly witnesses by how we live that real faith works. It does. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let me tell you, here's the biggie. Some people think that when they get to the very end of their life and they pass, that they're going to go to heaven. Here's how they figure out their faith. Some say, because I'm good. I feel my good outweighs my bad. Or some people say, I've been in a Christian family, you know, or I went to church, or I gave, or I helped people. And it's no different in life than it is with eternity. Only faith in Jesus Christ works. Misplaced faith in anything else will not care for your eternity. It's only faith in the reality that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sin. And people that have been down this road a couple times, 
people that have sensed and seen God truly work, they realize he'll hold you up. I read a story of a traveler in the early days of the West. He came to Mississippi. He discovered there was no bridge. Fortunately, it was winter. The great river was sheeted over with ice, but the traveler was afraid. Is this really going to hold me up? And he put a foot out there, and it did. And he put another foot out there, but he got nervous. Eventually, he got down on his hands and knees, and he's crawling across the river. And he's about halfway across. And he hears someone singing. And he turned, he looked behind him, and here's a man with a coach full of coal carted by four horses just going right across the river and he's singing as he goes across. He had been across that thing a few times. And we're here to tell you, he'll hold you up. His faith in Jesus Christ will hold you up every time. Join us these next number of weeks. Let's walk this faith journey together. God bless your day. Do remember, today is your last Sunday to buy tickets for our concert. They are in the back, as well as the special $5 kid ticket. They are in the back as well. Please go back there. Take care of those. If it's during the week, you can still get them online or in the church office, but they are out there waiting to be sold with smiles on their faces. God bless you. See you Friday night for the concert. It's not your fault, don't worry, it'll be...